Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Susan Violante, Editorial Associate at Reader Views, filling in for Irene Watson. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 165 in our series. Tonight's topic will be, What Makes a Good Children's Book or Series, with special guest Virginia S. Grenier. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are on the line with V.S. Grenier, who is an award-winning children's author, founder, and owner of Stories for Children Publishing, LLC, the award-winning editor-in-chief of Stories for Children magazine, one of my personal favorites, managing editor for the Brand Buzz Network, and chief editor for Halo Publishing International, and also the host of several blog talk radio shows of her own on the World of Ink Network, Stories for Children, The Writing Mama, What is Success, and Families Matter. A California girl at heart and former fashion buyer, Grenier lives in southern Utah with her supportive husband and the three children. Well, good evening. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me on the show tonight. Virginia, this is a treat for me to be interviewing you because um, I am uh, also a YA author and I am actually working on a picture book that should be out shortly to so I have a ton of questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, why don't we start with, um, let's say I have a project uh, for a picture book. Where do I go from there? I mean, do I have to think first of what age or what, because uh, I, did I didn't know anything about it. So I just had this idea, and I, it's taking me a while because of uh, all the things that I didn't know. So can you give us some tips of how to take this picture book or um, children's book idea into something feasible, to like a feasible study, if you, if you might want to call it that way. Yeah, you, you do have to really consider what age group you're trying to target when you're writing um, in the children's and young adult market, um, just because there's so many different type of books. And even though picture books, you know, are its own genre, there's different styles of picture books as well. You know, obviously we have the board books, concept books, you have the actual, you know, traditional picture books where it's most mostly illustrations with very few, you know, sentences on a page, so very very little context. To picture storybooks where you actually have a lot more um, uh, context on a page. So, like an example of that would be, um, you know, when you read, uh, like, if you give a pig a pancake, um, you know, there's usually like one one sentence, you know, to two sentences per per spread, you know, and the spread, you know, two pages together. And a uh, picture storybook would be more like what Dr. Seuss's books are like because there's a lot of, you know, um, text on the page that you're reading uh, for each picture that you're you're seeing on, on each page. So it, you do have to think about that because obviously the younger kids are going to be more into the concept books, the board books, and the traditional, what everybody thinks of as a picture book, where a picture storybook is a little bit, of your little bit on the older side of in the elementary grades um, reader, but they're not quite in your early chapter books or they're just starting the beginning readers. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting because I've noticed what would in the past be considered more of um, the picture storybook 
with more context like a Dr. Seuss book, would now you would now see more as the beginning reader type books based on grade level because they're usually, you know, a lot of there's more dialogue um as well in those kind of books. So um like my my picture book, Babysitting Sugar Paw, is actually more of a picture story book because it's very dialogue based mm-hmm. where there's a lot of, you know, Sugar Paw says or Bonnie Whisker says um constantly throughout the book. So yeah, you do really have to think about your age group. Um most picture books usually target ages between three and um, eight years old, but I've seen, again, where they can hit your nine and ten-year-old readers if it's more of a early, you know, reader, um, you know, beginning chapter book type of a picture book feel uh, story. So it, it's my my best advice really for anybody is if you're not quite sure, is to go get a couple of books that fall in all those different kind of genres and look at them and go, yeah, this is more where I feel my story is falling and it will give you a better idea of what age group you're hitting. Um, and a lot of those books usually will have the recommended ages on them um, for those publishers, so it will give you a better idea of of the market you're you're targeting, you know, in the age group. And, you know, uh, this is great because we're talking about formatting our writing as style for the age group. But I'm wondering about topics. Are there, like, no-no topics um, for uh, for children's book in general? Or how do you – if you have a, a topic in your in your mind, how do you go about to making sure it's something that is marketable for kids? Again, um, you, know, you have to think of, and that's what's so different, I think, about writing for children and, and the young adult and middle grade readers versus any other market that you write in because you do have to constantly think of the age group you're targeting because, yeah, I mean, obviously you're not going to have a book about dating or peer pressure as much in a picture book or an early chapter book or early reader but you would expect to see that in your middle grade or even you know young adult crossover books especially you'll see that kind of a topic your littler kids when you're thinking like you know preschool kindergarten first second grade they're the topics that most their books cover is about discovering the world around them um obviously you know beginning school making friends um dealing with sharing you know, even like typical fears, being afraid of the dark, going to a dentist, you know, more of those kind of things, um, learning about, you know, nature, so some type of animal or, you know, even mythical creatures to some degree just because they, they tend to have a bigger imagination at those ages. Um, you know, definitely stuff that's going to inspire them and, and motivate them that they can pretty much conquer the world because a lot of their books tend to, to hit on those kind of topics. You will see some books for them that do hit on, um, you know, parents that aren't together. Um, I know Love and Healing Press touches on that with quite a few of their picture books um, in, in very subtle ways. So you can do that. Like, again, like my book, Babysitting Sugar Paw, has to do with a bear that, you know, doesn't want to be left with a babysitter. It's his first time being left with the babysitter. So it's a real fear a lot of kids have. So that would be that age group. When you get into your older elementary school um, kid ages, so you're thinking more like third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you can get more into a little bit of the bull, more into the bullying issues, um, studying for school kind of issues. You can get a little bit more detailed um, civil, you know, sibling rivalry you can have going on, lying. You, know, you can get a little bit more detailed, and as you get into the older ages, you know, then you can get into into deeper topics. 
So, yeah, you really have to think about what you want to write. And, you know, I've, I've, when I've talked to a lot of writers, they usually have just kind of a whimsical story idea in their mind, and as they're outlining the story, that's when they start to see that they actually have some type of a moral to the story or some lesson that's in there. It's not usually a conscious effort with the younger age groups as it is more with the older age groups. So that's kind of an interesting thing, too. So if you don't think your story has one, um, you know, really sit down and think about how your characters are interacting or, you know, the situation that they're interacting in. And chances are there probably is some lesson in there that you just subconsciously put in there without even realizing it. I was going to ask, Virginia, a little bit about storyboarding because I get so many manuscripts that are just the text and they they don't have an idea visually of where they're going Uh how important is storyboarding, and, and how do you go about it? Oh, my gosh. Picture books, it's so important. The fa- the first thing, I actually, when I started getting into writing that I realized is everybody thinks picture books are the easy- easiest book to to write out there because usually they have very few words under, you know, usually under 1,000 words, 2,000 words if it's a picture storybook. So you think, oh, because it's less words, it's it's easier to write. Actually, they're harder, and it is crucial to do a storyboard. And storyboards is basically laying out um, each picture in, you know, each scene in picture format in your head and then what, you know, text you want to have to go along to help continue telling what's happening in, in the particular scene. Now, I, I'm one of the wacko ones. I actually tend to usually, <laughs> I, I, I tend to write my picture books when I work on them and more as a short story so all the detail is on the page. And then from there, what I do is I actually cut out where I think each scene would be based on how much detail I have and and the actual meat, which is the context that will be in the actual book itself. And then I will put it on um, sheets of paper, and I can't draw. So I have, of course, stick figures, or I cut pictures out of magazines or whatever I'm doing to to create my scene. And then from there, I can in my I can visualize it better on what um, most likely the illustrator will put on the page. So then I can start crossing out the detail that I don't need in my writing that that, that doesn't need to actually be the the text on the page. Um, So I know how much text I need and how much text I don't need. And so I'm very backwards in how I work. I know a lot of picture book writers actually sit down and already have the images in their head and either they can are relatively decent at sketching or are can do illustrations and can write. So they'll sketch it out and then they'll add um, the rest of the the text for each scene to flesh it out. For chapter books, yeah, you'd still pretty much want to do a little bit of that because, again, there's chapter books have illustrations, not as many, but there are some throughout the chapter to kind of help break up the black and white text for the, for the readers because they're still not quite at that novel length type book when you get more to your middle grade and young adult books you don't really do storyboarding but outlining is still important Um, even if it's a loose outline where you just have a basic idea of who your characters are um, what your main storyline is and then some of you know the subplots that will you know happen in different chapters just so you know there's some variety in the story (laughs) because it's a longer length Um, it's still important so there is some degree of storyboarding, be it more of an outline format or actual, you know, looking at illustrations and text on a page that every author needs to do. Um, it's rare you come across somebody who can sit down and just write a manuscript, totally know where they're going, have it all in their head, and it be a publishable, be something that can be publishable. 
Um, most of the time, the authors who do that end up going back and having to do the outline after the afterwards to revise their their manuscript to get to in, in a you know publishable format for a publisher. So um, yeah, it's something that if you don't like doing, you take some workshops, learn how to do it, um, read books on it. There's there's many different ways to do it. There's not one set rule, but you have to at least do some kind of <laughs> plotting, or you're gonna have a problem <laughs> with your story. Yeah, we learned our lesson the hard way twice, I believe. Um, the author had a strong vision, and she went out and commissioned all these 10, 11 pictures. And then when it came time to put it back in the text, we ended up with two, three pages of text with no picture to go with it. And all the pictures ended up bunched towards the beginning and the end, which is not good. Yeah, it, it, it's really hard. Um, that. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's why picture books, I think, are really the hardest because you have to really balance out how much goes with each scene. And, I mean, and there's times where, I mean, if you look at picture books, you know, there's even times where there's no text on the page. It's just complete illustration for a whole, you know, two pages um, because that's all you need because it just shows the action. And that's the thing um, with picture books. I mean, you don't have to write down, you know, he ran across the street. A picture can show that. So you have to, the balance is really, really crucial on a picture book. I think the less words you have, the the harder it is. I always tell a lot of writers when um, when I teach over at Dixie State College in my area, um, the basics of picture book writing and novel writing, that um, if you want to be a picture book writer, take a few courses on flash fiction and short story writing because you will have tighter writing um, you'll be more honed in your craft. So when you go to tackle picture books, you already have a lot of that not being too detailed, not too wordy with what you're trying to describe in your descriptions um, down to where it won't be such a huge learning curve for you <laughs> when you get into that market. <laughs> so and to read lots and lots of of the books that you, of you know in the type of genre you want to write. So if you want to write you know books like Fancy Nancy, then buy all those Fancy Nancy books and read them over and over again mm-hmm. so it it's in your head and you can when you're writing out your own story you can basically see how that story how that particular book flowed so when you're lining yours up you can follow pretty much the same format it's funny because when uh, I've, I've written many articles and and short stories and and you know and i did my book and everything and it, it always just happens that I write the first draft, and then of course I change it, and, and it totally ends up different, a, a total different story. <laughs> but with the picture book, what I found though is I would have one page that was rhyming, mm-hmm. and then I would have a page that was not rhyming at all, and it was a total different style. And then I would have a page that was a dialogue, and I had the hardest time finding a style uh, for it. I was coming from a place where you write a manuscript per se, and then where you, I, I think that you really have to have a, in your mind a picture of what your style is going to be for this picture book. Yeah, and that's that's really true. And of course, I know a lot of people who are listening to this and think, well, I keep hearing, you know, not to do rhyming picture books. Publishers don't like rhyming picture books or books with animal characters. It's been done so much and to not try and be like Dr. Seuss. And that that's true. And it's it's one of those things that I keep, I've, I've heard said probably for like the last four years and I still see I actually just recently went and picked up um, at the library a couple of picture books with my with my two girls and 
One of them was total prose, um, had had some dialogue, but not a lot. It was mostly prose. And the other one was completely rhyming. And they were both published this year in 2012. And I'm starting to think, oh, here you go. And one, of course, was animals in it. And the other one was, you know, just a rhyming picture book. And I'm just sort of thinking, here they are. They're breaking the rules to what we keep being told. And um, it, it can be done, but you're right. You have, if, if, if you if you go into it with rhyming, and where, where I see where the rhyming works is, um, and this is another thing which I totally didn't even think to mention, when you're writing for like your pre-K, kindergarten, first, second graders, um, repetition is important. So if you're going to write a book, and that's why you you know if you give a pig a pancake, I mean that's constantly the thing. And if you give a pig pig a pancake, this happens. And if you give the pig this, then it leads to this. So that's the repetition that's happening. And to some degree, it has that rhythmic flow to it. So if it's going to be a book like that, you can get away with having it rhyming because it's got that repetition. It's going to have that rhyming feel already and flow to it so you can pull it off. If you're, you know, focusing on maybe your second, third, fourth grade readers, you're probably better with more of prose or, or a heavy dialogue-based kind of picture book because they're older you're probably not going to have as much repetition because you're trying to make them understand more concept um, and cause of a, cause and effect more than trying to be in that repetition of you know something. So yeah, you just <laughs> you do have to have to some degree too, kind of in mind. I, I'm not I'm not a rhyming person. I can edit and work on those kind of books because I understand them. But for myself, that's not my rhyming style. And I'm like I said, I'm more of a dialogue driven typewriters so that's where I when I write I tend to write in that um, and if I was going to do it more in prose then I'd probably write in first person so that way I would still have that dialogue feel to it but because it's in first person you wouldn't have the he said she said going on so yeah you, you do have to think about that and try and stick to that and it's hard <laughs> it really is cause it is I found it very hard uh, to find, be consistent it's what I found yeah I, I had to really be um, uh, thinking of what style am I going to be when I was writing each page because I would just if I, I couldn't daydream let me put it that way <laughs> yeah, and sometimes what I what I have seen happen is I've seen authors write in prose but every so often it will flip to rhyme and it's not because they meant for it to happen it just because rhythmatically in in the flow of the book it just happened that way for you know because of the words that they used you know they just happened to either you know have that slight rhyme or straight rhyme feel to them and so it just naturally happened and that's okay you can you can mix it up as long as you, the transition when you do it you know works you know and and it's it's tricky and <laughs> i think sometimes when people do that and they I, I think it's more it just happened and they don't realize it until after the fact and it just happened to work because I have seen books written that way. I don't think I don't know if they did that intentionally or not. I've never really asked the author because I don't know them, but I've seen it, so it can be done. <laughs> right. I've always thought that, that children get into a book by identifying with the character. How can you go about making a believable character quickly in a few strokes? <laughs> Um, yeah, with, in short story writing, and that that's why this is so important if you want to write picture books, is why I say um, taking courses on that is, is key because you have very few pages to do that in, usually 24 to 32 pages, to have a believable character, unlike a novel where you have time to really, you know, flesh them out throughout the chapters. <laughs> so it, that is difficult. Um, what I found with, with picture books, 
um, versus your middle grade and young adult novels is you still go into as much detail behind the scene as you would, you know, no matter the length of a book. So what that means is you do a complete character sketch as an author. No one else is going to see this but yourself. Maybe, maybe your editor will ask to see it, but um, pretty much it's for your own benefit. So you, you know, find out what, what you in your mind see this person as, you know, not just the hair color and eye color, um, you know, not if they're, you know, stocky build or, you know, tall, skinny, but you also get into their personality. And I actually have, I think it's about 150 questions that I ask my subconscious um, what this character is. So basically my conscious self is asking my subconscious self um, interview questions of this character and I answer them as that character would answer them in their voice. And no one ever sees this but myself, but it gives me a really good idea on if they like homework or don't like homework, if they eat their vegetables, don't eat their vegetables, tell little white lies to, um, you know, who their best friends are, what they think of, you know, who everybody in their family is. I mean, video games, TV shows, I get into every music, um, favorite subjects in class, uh, in school, um, you know, just all kinds of just, you know, things, most embarrassing moment that they've ever had, even though it's not going to even be in my story. Um, you know, just basic things you'd ask anybody that you would basically I think that if you're at a cocktail party and you're sitting down with somebody and you find them interesting, what questions are you going to ask this person? So that's how I start drawing up my my questionnaire, at least for my characters. And by doing that, they actually become a real living, breathing person in my mind um, where I can actually see them in my own mind's eye in 3D. And once you can do that, then you can put them on paper and they're not two-dimensional anymore they become three-dimensional because everything they do even though it's not in the story is because of these quirks that they have that you know about as an author you know you may have a character that doesn't like spiders and the reason why they don't like spiders is because you know one time somebody put a bunch of spiders in their bed as a joke but no one knows this but you know this so they just automatically react to that spider because that's a visual memory for them when they see a spider um, so that's, it's just like how we, you know, act, you know, react to things when we see things happen. It's because of our own personal experiences. So it's important to build that into your character. So when you're writing them on the page, you'll react how they, you know, how they should because of this, you know, character sketch that you've built around them. And it's hard, like I said, when you have 24 to 32 pages in a picture book to, to flush a character out, it's more, it's very difficult. So Usually you want to make sure that the character, of course, is very close to the same age group as the um, reader is because, again, they can then turn around and project their own insecurities about what's happening in the book with that character, and that's how they'll tie in and relate as well. So typically you don't have, and there are picture books you can pull this off, but if you notice, if you have like an old grandma um, type character in a picture book, they don't act like your typical grandmother would act. They act more like what you would think a four-year-old would act. Um, they tend to be more childlike in personality um, versus, oh, come on over and let's bake some cookies if they're your main character. Um, same with animal characters, um, any character you have in a book. And if you notice, most picture books never even tell you the age of their characters. It's because they let the reader project their own age on to that character. Again, it's a balancing act with those books. <laughs> For that reason, um. I've seen a trend, and, and this goes back a few years now, of all these uh, picture books getting out and about on series, 
and they're all based really on the main character, you know, mm-hmm. and they have these adventures. So, um, and I, with the with the independent market now, with the you know eBooks and and all these independent facilities that you know so many authors are coming forward, um, I've seen every single story turn into a series. That um, as a you know working in reader views, I see all the books that come for reviews, and then they're all book one or book two, and it just keeps coming in, into series. Is there a key? to making a book part of a series once, I mean, because most of us, at least I did, I mean, I thought of one story, and I, it actually got published in a magazine, and then I turned it into, I'm turning it now into um, a picture book, but, um, and I'm considering doing it in a series, but I, I, I came up with the story, so if you have a story and you publish it, is there any key in making this book part of a series, or, or, or do you plan it beforehand? How does that work? You know, it's it's really up to the author. I mean, I've worked with authors who have an idea. Um, you know, obviously, like for example, the Harry Potter series, which went from middle grade to a young adult um, book because of Harry growing up. When J.K. Rowling sat down, sat down to write that that storyline, she knew that in one book she couldn't obviously cover everything that needed to happen for the main storyline. So when you have a big storyline like that, which is usually in your more of your novels for kids. Um, you know you're most likely going to have to deal with a series-type situation because um, otherwise you're going to have like a book like Lord of the Rings that's basically three books shoved into one as a novel. And so it's like, you know, <laughs> and then later on people break it into three different books. Um, yeah, it, it, it depends on what you want to tackle. I think with picture books, though, what ends up happening, at least for myself and from the few that I know, is you write a book, you have this great idea, you write the story, and because people like it, it wins awards, whatever the case may be, you know, because the New York best-selling picture book, you know, Thousand and One Reasons, you know, why, it's just, for whatever reason, people just really love that main character, you think, well, maybe I should do another story with that main character. So it's not an intentional thing, it just kind of becomes a series. I think that's kind of what happened a lot with, like, the Max and Ruby books, the author's uh, series that later became a cartoon as well. You know, I think that's kind of thing. I mean, if you look at Dr. Seuss, I mean, he was very famous, but a lot of his characters reappear in other books, and it's not that they're a series. It's just people love those characters, um, like the Who's and Whoville. Um, they pop up, and so I, I think it just kind of it depends more on a picture book. On And then, of course, you know, if you have a really great concept, like, you know, if you give a pig a pancake, I mean, they didn't redo a pig. They have give a moose a muffin and all types of different animals getting different types of stuff and different types of scenarios happening happening to where it that becomes a series in itself because of just the overall concept of a book. So I, I think it just depends on its success and I think it depends on what the main storyline is going to be if it's something that you can tell, you know, in, in a whole thing. I, I always think of like Charlie Brown um, and the Snoopy gang um, because... It, Technically, each story doesn't really build upon each other for a main story, but everybody loved the characters. It was like, why reinvent new characters? Because they were already so beloved that the same characters were just used in different situations. Um, I'm even, you know, doing that right now since since I've won the Mom's Choice Award with uh, my character babysitting Sugar, well, with my book babysitting Sugar Paw. I'm thinking, you know, instead of some of these other picture books I had had sent out for. Um, to be looked at to get published, I've actually retracted them and said, you know what, I want to redo these and put Sugar Paws my main character because since this, my my one book won a Mom's Choice Award, it just makes sense to rewrite them and put Sugar Paw as the character because it still would work. 
I don't think there's really a magic, you know, is, should this be a series or should this not be a series. There's an author, Brenda Mull, that I know out here in Utah, and she wrote a book called The Candy Shop War. Um, and she wrote it as a standalone book. He didn't want it to be more than just a standalone book, but people love the book so much and keep writing him letters. He's now rethinking about maybe writing, you know, a, a, a few more books. You know, I don't know if he's going to make it a full series or just, you know, do it as a trilogy or what he's going to do, but he's thinking about it just because people loved the story and the character so much. And there's, you know, possibilities at the end of the story for it to continue. So I think it just depends on the author and, you know, do they love their character enough to where they want to keep writing them or do they want to, you know, try and, and reinvent a new character and, and do something totally different? You know, I, that's, that's the thing about writing that's, that's wonderful. I mean, sometimes an author just, they, they hit a character that's just so loved, they figure stick with them and, you know, take them as far as they can. And then sometimes they think, well, even though I love this character, I want to do something different and unique you know, each time, because that's why I write. I want to, you know, I want to create. And if I'm using the same character, I'm not really always creating because, you know, I'm not developing new characters or a new main character, I should say, constantly. So I think, you know, you just have to look at it that way um, when you're kind of tackling a book. Like, do you really want to keep working with the same character? Or do you want to do something new? And, and, of course, you can always go back to books. I've seen this happen many times where a book was written, there was never a sequel to it, and then they decided many years later, you know, I really love that book, people really love the book, you know, now I want to write a second or a third or a fourth book with that character. I don't great. That, <laughs> I don't know if that really helped answer that question. I mean, oh, no, no, it's that great. I'm actually taking notes. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's when I become point. silent, it's because I'm taking notes. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, I just know it's like one of those hard things because it's it really – it's so subjective, and that's the one thing I love about writing because it is so subjective. <laughs> one hurdle that I keep finding with new authors is um, helping them find an illustrator. Do you have any ideas on, on how to do that? I mean, do you start with a budget, or do you look for a style that you like? Or It really depends. I mean, obviously, if, if you go the conventional traditional route – that it depends on your publisher. Um, obviously, if you're dealing with the big guys like Simon and Schuster, Random House, Scholastic, they pretty much have their own group of illustrators they like to use. Now, once in a while, they'll entertain if you really like somebody. Your suggested request of you know a particular illustrator, but normally they like to stick with their what they could call their in-house illustrating team. If you're in that situation which is great because, you, you know, you're with a big publishing house, but, again, then you don't have as much control of your book as well. Um, you don't get to pick your illustrator usually. Uh, if you're more with your smaller or middle-grade publishers, it depends um, on the publishing house itself. I know some are very open to new talent or suggestion from the author. Some are like the big houses. are like, oh, no, no, we have our, our list of who we use, and that's who you have to use. So you have to name it. Now, obviously, if you're in your – if you're over on the – um, hybrid POD and self-publishing side, typically you have to find your own illustrator. Sometimes those type of publishers will have, you know, a list of illustrators they've worked with in the past so they can say, well, if you don't know anybody, here's who we've used. You can go check them out. But, you know, if you find somebody you like, you know, we're open to that as well. Um, so that's that's the first thing. You have to kind of look at, you know, where, where you're at and what you're doing on that publishing side of things. Um, 
if you do get the option to where you can at least have input or get to pick who you use, um, yeah, budget does come into play because every illustrator, you know, charges a, charges their own fees. They're usually relatively around the same price points, but not always because um, it depends on how sought out they are at times um, or what their workloads are like as well. I usually at least like to have an idea of style, even even if um, I, I've worked with. Uh, and this is me as an editor, not me as a writer, but I've worked with people when I've, you know, helped them get their manuscript in shape to to submit to publishing. And even when I've worked um, with Halo Publishing, they're like, you know, I like this particular style. And so I'm like, okay, well, go look at a bunch of books and figure out, you know, which styles you like and write down some of those illustrators' names. And then from there, um, we can use in-house uh, illustrators that are similar in style or even see if we can get those guys um to you know to possibly you know do your book for you so again it's one of those subjective kind of things um based on your publishing contract you know based on obviously what they're going to charge and then you know if you do like a particular style if you can even find somebody that does your style i always really um get jealous of the the authors who also illustrate because they have the best of both worlds and then they don't have to deal with that usually <laughs> unlike myself i was lucky i actually knew my illustrator we started out in the business at the same time and we've watched each other's careers grow so i was lucky that we even got partnered up together um but that's that's a very rare situation that happens um so when you get that it's it's a great a great experience when you work on a book but um yeah it's it really just depends on your on your publishing contract that you have. I don't I don't know, Victor. I mean, what's what's Love and Healing Press like? I mean, I know you guys do picture books. Are you guys more where you have your in-house illustrators, or do you kind of let your authors? <laughs> I'm turning the table on you. Or do you let your authors kind of have some input on who they work with? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, financing the art part of a children's book can be pretty demanding. Sometimes we'll cut a deal where the author will agree to purchase a set number of books and we'll finance the illustration for them. And we have uh, a couple of artists that we use that are really budget conscious for the books that we're doing lately. Yeah, I know I know one of the illustrators you use because he's the one who did my book, which is Kevin Scott Collier. So, cause I know oh, if, I could, if I could get him again... <laughs> Would. Yeah, because I know he's done some of your books, and he's he's amazing, and he's one of those budget-conscious type illustrators, um, and he's a fabulous illustrator to work with, and he's also an author, which makes it even better, because I know with my book, um, besides being an illustrator, being an author as well, he understood where I was coming from, and I had this one scene where I had red paint on white carpet, and he called me up, he's like, um, that's going to look like blood. <laughs> he's like, I love the image when, when I'm reading it. He's like, well, I'm telling you, visually, when I paint this, it's going to look like blood. So, <laughs> you know, but, yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it is. It's it's one of those hard things. And in some illustrators, you know, some are very much where they're like, you know, you pay them a, a flat fee and you get all copyrights. And then others are like, well, you know, you have to pay me the flat fee, but you don't get the copyright, so I want X percentage of all book sales. So it it gets interesting and sometimes that's why you don't always get who you want to work with either if you're looking for shopping for your own illustrator because of those reasons too so yeah the biggest thing first is of course what your publishing contract says and then from there you have to worry about all the other details <laughs> 
Regina, you've, you're giving us so much information. Before we go, because we're beginning to run out of time, I want to make mm-hmm. sure that um, our listeners get like a guide on how to, uh, you know, step. By, not, I don't want to say step by step, but maybe a five tip um, guide for people like me that just roll over their um, sleeves up and then um, just try to learn as they go. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can, you know, give us like uh, five tips on how to, you know, write a children's book and it, make it successful, what what would those five tips? Well, my first, <laughs> my first biggest tip I'm going to stress is, of course, I, I don't care if if you were an English major in college and have a PhD. Take writing workshops and go to conferences, um, and, and don't sit in there and think I already know this already. Even if you've heard it for like the tenth time, because believe it or not, the one thing I have learned is it doesn't matter how many times you're told. I cannot tell you, and this is me as an editor speaking again, how often stuff that people should know what to do don't do it. Um, it drives me absolutely insane. I'm just like, okay, you know, you've been published a bazillion times and you're making this simple mistake. And so we need to hear those simple things over and over again. Um, it, it not only energizes us, but, you know, it reminds us sometimes of things that we forget. It's, you know, we're human. Um, we're not perfect. So that'd be my number one tip. My second tip is it, it's great having kids when you're writing in the in the children's and adult market to give you feedback on your manuscript. I highly suggest it, but don't then just take that or whatever your best friend or family members say and um, go send it off to a publisher. Join a critique group or find a critique buddy, somebody who's writing in the same genre that you're writing in to give you feedback, you know, very good, honest critique (laughs) Um, because you need it, (laughs) believe it or not. My third is, and a lot of people don't like this one, and I've had a lot of people who disagree with me, and then they come up to me later and say, I've had, you know, and of course, I've had hundreds of rejections myself, but they wonder why they keep getting, seeing the same type of rejections over and over again. And um, I, I really honestly believe in hiring a freelance editor. And what I mean by that is somebody who does content editing along with line editing to go through your manuscript. So even though you've revised it, I don't care, two times, five times, a hundred times, Having somebody who's detached from your work go through it with an edit, someone who's you know an editor type mindset, they're going to give you valuable feedback and actually polish that manuscript up beyond what even a critique group can do. I do this myself. Um, you know, I do this for people, but I also hire people to do it for me because again, I'm attached to my own work, so I actually have people that I hire to to do this for me before I submit any of my manuscripts out. Mm-hmm. Um, my next tip would be, of course, to read um, in the market that you want to write in. So it's fine. If you want to write picture books and you want to write a young adult novel, that's great. But read and read the type of writing style that you want to write. Um, so not just what how you write, but you know what you want to aspire to, to write um, and, and the type of voice you want to have. I kid you not, I look back at stuff I wrote back in 2004, and I have actually seen my author voice change from then, um, just from reading other people's works. I've taken a little bit of, you know, different authors I really like and have adapted some of that into my own writing. Um, not saying I take what they say in their books. I'm just saying their, their type of writing style. So that's, that's important. And then this, this is one a lot of people have a hard time with, but 
I don't I don't go into the market with the attitude of and and I think this is really what makes the difference between at least the authors I know who are successful and I do know a few New York best you know New York Times bestselling authors when I talk to them and I ask them about it and I always like you know can you rub some of that off on me they always laugh and they're like you know I'm just lucky that that book did so well or this series did so well and I see that they're very humbled um, and they tell me all the time you know like oh I'm working on this next book I just don't know if anybody's gonna like it. And I think it's interesting and humbling to hear them even still be very critical of themselves and, and realizing that even though they have a New York best-selling book, that it doesn't mean their next five manuscripts they send out are even going to get published. So I tend to keep that same attitude when I submit stuff out. I don't sit there and go, oh, yes, this is going to be the one. I send out going, okay, expect that rejection letter. And when I do get the acceptance or, you know, here's some feedback, but we want you to resubmit it, I get so happy because it's like, wow, you know, it's not such a letdown because <laughs> I kind of expect the worst. And then when the positive happens, it's even better. And I'm not saying to walk around thinking, oh, my gosh, I just suck as an author and run around and think that way. But I'm just saying don't go into the market thinking that just because this is your first manuscript or your fifth manuscript, it's the best thing out there. <laughs> yeah, really, you're up against thousands of people, yep. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people sending stuff in. So if you if you if you stay humble and realistic with your goals and realize you know it's a step at a time, um, you're going to actually feel more successful versus sitting there and you know wanting to chop your ear off and go cry in a corner. So yeah, that's that. Those are my tips. <laughs> Well, thank you, Virginia. On, on behalf of Irene, who really wanted to be here but couldn't make it, uh, before we close, uh, please let our listeners know where they can get a hold of you on Twitter, your websites, blogs, and so on. And you can mention if you're still doing coaching and workshops. Yeah, um, <laughs> I have a huge list. So the, as an author, the easiest way to find me, of course, is vsgrenier.com. So V is in Victor, S is in Sam, and Grenier, which is G-R-E-N-I-E-R.com. Um, and then the other best place to find me is actually at the theworldofinknetwork.com. And there actually has all the links for um, our own radio shows, uh, any of our editing and coaching services that we offer um, are found there. So um, for that kind of stuff, that's the best thing to do. And then Basically, everything with Facebook, Twitter, if you type in v Virginia S. Grenier or V.S. Grenier, pretty much in Google, I come up everywhere. <laughs> and that's what I'm That's what I'm tagged as in, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. So that's all they have to put in to find me in the search. <laughs> Great. This has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, which is How to Hire and Use an Illustrator with special guest Richa Kinra. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to Info at AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. For Reader Views, this is Susan Violante from Reader Views. And I'm Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.